So let's go to Mark 1, 14. And I'm going to read again down to verse 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, I don't know exactly what I would title this message, but I certainly could say that the theme that we see so far is the immediate obedience to follow Christ, which is what we are called to do as Christians. But here's what's going on in Mark 1, 14 to 15. Here, here we see that Jesus had came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand. And why? Well, because the king himself had come. The king was there. And that kingdom was revealed in, in very public ways in Christ's life up to this point. It was revealed in his blessed baptism, blessed by the Father and the Holy Spirit. It was revealed by his conquering of temptation in our place. And it was revealed now, at this time, through his public preaching. All those events would reveal his kingly authority in a public way. It was publicly announced through those events. But then in verses 16 to 20, something happens that you can't see by just reading the text. You have to do a little bit of history and a little bit of study about the other synoptic gospels and look at how these events took place. What's happening in verses 16 to 20 is we we are jumping forward in time about a year. A year has went by from when he had first arrived there in Galilee. And now we we hear Christ calling his first disciples. He's given them their great commission, if you will. And he's also revealing to them his authority in a not just a public way through his public ministry, but now to them personally. We see that in 18 to 20 and Simon and Andrew's response to Christ while they are at work. And then we see it in verses 20 there, 19 and 20. We see it there where James and John respond to Christ, even in the midst of their busyness while they're building their business. Right. If you'll notice something that's, that's consistent with both of these testimonies of these four men, that all of these men left behind everything to follow Christ's command. And it doesn't say anything about them doing it grudgingly. Are being tugged to do it, drug along. They do this with eagerness. This is radical. I don't know that any of us really could grasp this today. They left everything to follow Jesus. And this is what we are called to do as Christians. They left everything to follow him. They left with eagerness to obey Christ and, and his call upon their life. And saints, that is the sign of true saving faith, conversion. You no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Christ, your king. And when he calls, you obey and you do it with eagerness and joy. 
That's what's going on here. We, we must understand something about this call to salvation, though, that seems to be often misunderstood in many circles. Some people think of coming to Jesus as their Savior first, and later on we'll make him Lord of our life. That's not at all what happens in the Christian's conversion. Christ's call to salvation is a call to follow him immediately with eagerness the rest of your life as his disciples, as one who is fully devoted to be a learner or a follower of his commands. And Christ's disciples understand that because we have been given in our conversion one new passion and one new mission, and that is to glorify our Savior and our Lord by obeying his commands, by obeying our Lord throughout our life. That's our calling as Christians, and that should be our passion as born-again people. And that's the testimony of these men in this text. And it's going to be the testimony of those today who testify to that through their baptism. They're going to follow Christ immediately with eagerness. They, they're all nervous about sharing their testimonies before you today. But there's all, there's all this energy pent up in them. I can tell they're eager to tell you about the work of Christ and then show you through their obedience in baptism. And now I, I realize that when we talk about the immediate eagerness and joy of following Christ's commands, that that's, that is the testimony I think we could all say amen to as Christians when we were first converted. But we also know there are times in life when that eagerness sometimes wavers. Sometimes we may begin to grow cold in our walk with the Lord because we have let things come in. We've heard other voices we're listening to other than the voice of Christ, the voice of the world promises Peace, prosperity, and joy just by not doing anything for the kingdom, by doing things for yourself. And at times that can cause us to grow cold and weary in our walk. And we need to stop and consider what it is we were called into. And when we fail, sometimes we, we realize that I have fallen short. It's, it's beyond my reach, so I might as well just give up. And that's not the case either. These guys testify to the fact that you can fail a lot. And God picks you back up and gives you this eagerness of heart to follow him the rest of your life. Peter is a prime example of that. Sometimes we do grow cold. Sometimes we do feel weary. At times we feel spiritually weak. At times our witness wavers. We don't share the gospel as often as we ought and desire to. We let other things creep in and push that desire out. At times we feel unworthy of our calling because we've allowed sin to take root in our life. We've let failures seem to keep us from rejoicing in the truth. But I think when you read about Andrew and Peter and James and John, you can be encouraged this morning because these men failed a lot too. So fear not of your failures. Fear not of the way you feel. Trust not your feelings, trust the truth of God's calling on your life as Christians. God chooses you in your weakness so that he can shame the strong and glorify his name through your victories. It's not your victory anyway, it's always Christ's that gives you the strength to persevere. I think in Mark 1, 16 to 20, we're reminded of that today by, by these characters that we see in this little short narrative here. These men show us the kind of people that, that Jesus calls to be his disciples. They're not the noble. They're not the wise. They're not the impressive. They're not the influential. They're the common. They're the ordinary. They're like us. In verse 16. 
Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. It's a very common, lowly position. It was necessary, it was needed, but it was not something that was praised by people, by the culture itself. They were just common fishermen. They weren't spokesmen. They weren't scholars. They weren't theologians at that time. They weren't overly talented. And the reality is when you read about these men in the scriptures, you find that most of the time they're, they're kind of hot-headed. They're humanly weak. They make big promises that they can't keep. They're just average sinners in need of the Savior to give them the strength to obey his commands, just like us. Now, as I said there in verse 16, We're looking at a year in time that's transpired between verses 14 and 16 here. And what happened was during this time before this, Christ had passed through Galilee and he called Simon and Andrew and James and John. He called them to salvation at that time. And they then followed him throughout Jerusalem while he was there during that year. And then back now into Galilee. That's what we're coming back to here. And now their savior and their king is publicly preaching that the kingdom was at hand because the king had arrived. And verse 16 picks up at this point, and it picks up at a point where these men had now, though they traveled with Jesus for a year, now these men had sort of either grown a little discouraged. Maybe they have just gotten in a financial bind. Maybe they were just weary from the travels. So they went back to what they knew best. They took the easy route back to going back to fishing. That was where they found their comfort. That was where they found their security at that time. Well, fishing was important to them. It was obviously important to their families as well, especially James and John. It was their father's business that they were engaged in. And Peter and Andrew worked for them as well. Fishing provided for them both food for their families and financial stability. And what Jesus is going to do by calling them to be fishers of men, he's going to say, you know, this used to be what you did to feed people. I'm going to give you a greater commission. And you can keep on fishing, but this commission is going to be added to that vocation. You're going to be able to feed the spiritually hungry. You're going to be able to give security to those who are weak and distraught because they need the gospel to secure them. So it tells me something about their their situation when I read this text. It tells you a couple things about them following Christ immediately. It's a radical call because these were not wealthy men. They couldn't afford to drop everything and follow Jesus. Their families relied on them. These weren't retired men who finally got to the end of life. Hey, you know what? I got nothing else to do. I'll go with Jesus for a while. No, they, they were needed in their family, in their positions. But they recognized that he's commissioning them to go into the world to preach his gospel Even though it's going to be hard and costly, they were still willing to leave behind their security in life and even their passions to follow their Savior as disciples. And that's a radical call. And saints, that's what we are called to do as Christians. Your life is not your own. You've been purchased with the blood of Christ. You belong to him. And every aspect of your life, whether you're a fisherman or a night watchman, you are to glorify God in that position. God has taken that secular and made it sacred now. This is your calling to make much of Jesus in all those aspects of life. But it tells me when these men are being called, it tells me that these men understood the weightiness of this calling. They understood the weightiness of being called to leave behind their comfort and their livelihood to become fishers of men. But for them to actually be able to do this, 
They had to first obey the voice of their king. They had to obey his first command. Look at verse 17. We hear in this verse that first command they're given as his disciples. Christ says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, follow me and you will figure out how to be fishers of men. He said, I will do this. Now, he'll do this through his discipling, through his teaching, through his instruction, through his witness. He'll equip them, but most of all, he'll do it through his spirit that now lives in them to make them obedient from the heart. You see that already in their response. Their, their response was immediate obedience to the call of Christ, to his command. This is an eager expectation that this command and this call is greater than I can even imagine. It's even greater than having to provide for my family. I want to follow Christ because he's calling me into a work that is going to glorify his name and not only help my family, but everyone that I come in contact with throughout the world. They were immediately eager to obey Jesus. Now, here's my question for us today. Is that how you respond to Jesus' calling and commands on your life as his disciples today? Are you still responding like these men with this eager desire, this immediate reaction to his commands? Do you want to leave your sin quickly? Do you want to leave aside your personal plans to magnify Christ's purposes in your life? Are you really willing to follow his directions? I would say this, if the answer is no to those things, you may need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, to see if you're born again. Because this is the testimony of those who have had their ears opened to hear the truth of their Savior's voice. Those who have been given faith to believe and hear their king and his calling upon their life, they will continually respond with eager obedience because our king's calling is bigger than we can ever imagine. And we want to magnify him through it. That's the Christian's desire. The reason we're saved and not immediately brought into glory in heaven is so that we can do this very thing. You're left on earth for a purpose, and it is to glorify God. And honor him throughout your life. And that, that calling, that mission, begins with the first calling we receive as Christians. The call to salvation. The call to salvation is also a command, by the way. Repent and believe the gospel is a command. After we've been given that, we're then called into a supernatural mission that we see here in verse 17. You are to become fishers of men now. Listen, saints, there, there is no higher calling on earth. For a human being than this, you've been called by God to fulfill his supernatural mission to seek out his elect, his lost people and point them to Jesus. That's your privilege, your your honor and your joy as Christians. It's a supernatural mission, though. It requires the spirit of God. It requires regeneration. You can't do this mission apart from salvation. This follows salvation. It is the work of regeneration that is being produced in you in this calling. It's a supernatural calling. And it's not just a calling to salvation that's supernatural. The calling to sanctification is also supernatural. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is the first testimony of the calling of God on your life. He's changed your condition, but he changed it for your mission, for your purpose in life. That's what he's going to get to at the end of this in verse 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Look who you followed before Christ called you to salvation. 
You follow the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That, folks, is Satan. The desires of the enemy. Those were your desires before you heard the voice of Christ call you to salvation. You followed the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were destined for damnation, dead in our sins. And we were actually living in our sins, rejoicing in them, pursuing them, calling other people to join us with them. We were dead men walking, calling others to follow our leadership into sin. But then in verse four, we have the glorious news of the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. God's unmerited favor. You have been rescued. You've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're in union with Jesus. Here's why. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Your salvation is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his produce, his workmanship, his poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Saints, we were all spiritually dead, but God sent forth his son in the fullness of time to atone for our sins, to die our death, to be raised from the grave in our place, to justify us by his life, by his obedience And then we are in that salvation, in that union with Christ. We are then given new life. We are new creations in Christ. We have new life. We have new purposes. We have new power. And all those things are given to us to accomplish our mission as Christ's disciples. That's why God made us alive together with Christ. We are his workmanship created for good works that magnify Jesus His power, his love, his authority is to be magnified throughout our lives on earth because it's going to be magnified through our lives in eternity. This is the reason you're saved. You're not saved to get fire insurance to keep you out of hell. If that's the only reason you come to Jesus, you have an idol in your heart and you need to repent and look to Christ and seek his forgiveness. He grants you a life. They will testify to his power, his supremacy throughout eternity. And we should want to rejoice in it now. That's why these men immediately threw aside their nets to follow Jesus. There's a greater call on their life than they could ever imagine. Just think about what this is telling us. These commands that were given were given to us so that we can actually set apart our life unto God. We'd be sanctified, used by him for holy purposes. And you've got to remember this, this call to salvation, as I said earlier, is not a suggestion. It's not a pleading. Listen, I, I get so, so saddened and frustrated and a little bit angry 
when I hear people try to beg people to come to Jesus in the sense of just do this, do that, and you'll be saved. I'll guilt you. I'll manipulate you. I'll play the song 55 times to get you to come forward. When I see that and I hear that, it just tells me that they have no concept of the divine authority of Jesus himself who calls sinners from the grave to live. The call to follow Jesus in salvation and in sanctification is not a request. It's a divine command. It's a command to make much of your Savior and King here on earth. That is our great commandment as disciples of Christ. It's the reason for our salvation. It's the joy of the Christian's heart to do this, to make much of Jesus. That's what Ephesians 2.10 is saying. We are his workmanship. Our salvation testifies to the authority and supremacy and love of Jesus Christ. And our lives will continue to magnify that from here forward, progressively, not completely. Listen, it's the direction of your life, not the perfection of your life, as MacArthur would put it. But it is the desire of every born again person to make much of Jesus and testify to his lordship. And the reason is, is because we're God's chosen people to testify to him. We're God's chosen vessels created to display Christ's power, his love, his grace, his glory through our words and through our actions now and for eternity. That's your calling as disciples of Christ. Look at Second Corinthians five to make this very clear in your understanding. Second Corinthians five, verse 14. This makes it very clear that this is our calling for we are Christ's ambassadors. We are to represent our king, not just in rejoicing over a one time event at salvation, but continually through our sanctification, through our obedience to his commands. That's the reason baptism is such a great testimony to the gospel. It's an immediate response to salvation that's testified to publicly. And it's a testimony of the gospel power to change us continually as well. We rise in newness of life. Second Corinthians five fourteen, for the love of Christ controls us, if you will, constrains us, compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died for he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's the reason you're saved. You're not saved to live for yourself. You're saved to live for Jesus. And there's no greater joy than living for Jesus, which is an amazing irony there. We're trying to find joy throughout our lives by seeking our own desires. But when we finally die to self and put our faith in Christ, he gives us the greatest joys of our life. The greatest pleasures that we'll ever, ever experience are found in serving Christ. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You're saved so you can testify to the change in your life and through the words of your mouth that Christ is Lord and Savior. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, who for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Saints, Jesus came to take our place, our perfect substitute in life and on the cross, receiving the just penalty for our crimes, our sins against God, dying our death, being raised on the third day to testify that his work was sufficient and accepted by the Father in our place. This is what we are celebrating when we talk about following Christ immediately and joyfully. That's what you're doing every time you submit to the Lord's voice and you obey his call in your life to honor Christ through sanctification, through testimonies, through witnessing. It's a divine privilege, a divine honor. That's the honor these men are beginning to express in Mark 1.18. Go back there with me. When Simon, Andrew, James and John, when they when they heard their savior now call them out personally as their king. Verse 18 says they immediately left their nets and followed him. And verses 19 to 20 say they left their father Zebedee and followed him. They supernaturally followed Christ. It's testified to by the conditions they were in when they had to leave and follow him. They left their financial security, stability. They left their own families. They left their personal comfort all to follow Jesus immediately for the rest of their lives. And we know that they did so. They persevered to the end because God preserved them to the end for this purpose. There's something supernatural taking place here. Something supernaturally took place when they heard their king's voice because they belonged to him. He had purchased them with his own blood. And now they had ears to hear and hearts that are willing to obey. So here's the question is, is that your testimony today? Are you a Christian? Is this your testimony? Are you still struggling to hear and obey Christ's commands today in your own strength? Or have you put your faith in him and trusted in his life, his death, his resurrection and his work to bring you into sanctification? Do you feel like your life is aimless right now? Do you feel weighed down by sin? Are you anxious? Are you afraid this day because you don't know the outcome of your life? Are you unsure about your purposes today for the reason you live? There could be lots of reasons as to why. It could be, if you are a Christian, that you have abandoned your first love because you've forgotten your mission. You've forgotten your purpose to magnify Christ in life. Maybe you've let the love of comfort or the fear of persecution or a lack of repentance. You let those things rob you of the promises and the purposes of God in Christ for you. It's a promise that could help us with that in Matthew. Matthew 6. Matthew 6 verse 31. This will help us. To regain our confidence in God, to renew our love for God, for he is not only a great God and Savior, he is the great provider and keeper of those who belong to him, for he has a purpose for our lives. In verse 31, it says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles? The unbelievers seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Seeking first God's kingdom, he says, will take care of all the needs you have aside from that. One, you'll see your needs clearly for what they are and what they aren't. And you'll be able to see that the kingdom of God is more important many times than the things that we consider critical to our lives. So let me ask you this. After reading that, are you weighed down with anxiety today? Listen, we live in an anxious time, saints. I know we do. Every day, some new chaotic event takes place. But are you weighed down with these worries because you're following the world's voice rather than Christ's promises? You want that to stop? Here's what we do. Remember who we are in Christ. We don't want to forget who we are in Jesus. We are his disciples. We don't want to forget what we were created for. Listen, here's who we are. We're Jesus's blood bought adopted children called by God to glorify his son now and for eternity. We were created to magnify Jesus throughout our lives and God will get his design done. He will bring it to completion. He will bring that work that he started to absolute completion because it is for the glory of his son's name. Now, I realize it's easy for me to preach on this, to say these things to us, but I also know it is a difficult time in which we live. We're prone to wander because of fear, because of the unknowns. We're prone to forget our first love from time to time. But just remember this. Here's what will keep you kind of grounded, I think. You'll never find true joy in life following the desires or the fears of your flesh. Never. It's not what you were created to do. You're created to honor Christ. And there will be the source of joy in every aspect, area, difficulty, struggle in your life. It will come from honoring Christ in the midst of those adversities. I realize, though, that we are weak because we have let sin encroach. We've let that one that besets us so often come back again and again. But here's what I know about a true believer in Christ, one who's truly been born again. Though the the desire may waver, it may be weak at times, it will be an abiding desire in the Christian's life. It will be the testimony of the Christian's heart that's stirring up all the time a desire to follow Jesus and turn from sin, repent. The reason for that is, is because submission to Christ's commands is the evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in your life. Where there's true conversion, there'll be a true longing to submit to your king. True conversion will lead to true longing to submit to your king's voice. Submission to Christ is the evidence of true salvation. Christians will long to follow Jesus's commands because he is not only our savior from sin, he is the king who reigns over sin and our life and promises us an eternal place in heaven. So for the joy of what we're promised, when you're weak, remember Christ. Look back at what he's called you into and consider this divine privilege you have now as disciples of the Lord Jesus, as his ambassadors Examine your life today. 
Examine your life today as you watch those testify to their submission to Christ in baptism today. Ask yourself, as they're being baptized, do I still desire to follow the Lord's commands and his calling to make much of him in life like they do, like they're expressing today? This kind of self-examination is good for Christians. We're called to do this. It helps to cultivate a deeper conviction in us about sin and about wasting our lives and our time. And it also leads us to repentance. We turn away from those things that take us from Christ and we come back to him again and again throughout our life. Listen, something else that repentance does that's important to understand. Repentance will unstop sinful ears. It will help us discern the voice of the enemy, the voice of temptation, the voice of the world from the voice of Christ. Repentance will allow our burdens, burdened hearts to once again hear and joyfully respond to Christ as our Savior. That's the testimony of these first disciples back in Mark 1, 16 to 19. Just think about these guys for just a minute. What you know maybe from other gospel narratives. Simon Peter. Simon was an uneducated fisherman who failed to listen to Jesus a lot. But Christ granted him repentance. He took Simon Peter and he turned him into Peter, the preacher of the gospel, who stood on the day of Pentecost and declared a bold message that got Jesus crucified in the face of those who crucified him. Peter became the preacher, the fisher of men by the power of God, even though he had failed many times before. The spirit of God was at work in him to bring about his purpose in life. James and John are the same. James and John had a nickname. These two brothers had a nickname. Sometimes we we think of other people we know that are like James and John. They were called the sons of thunder, right? What that meant was they were guys who were prone to anger. When they see someone else claiming to be a follower of Christ, doing great things in God's name, and they see Jesus, they say, look, this guy's he's not doing this right. He's not doing it with us. And so let's call down fire from heaven and destroy these guys. And this is James and John. But when James and John heard the voice of their Savior, their Lord, their Master, they humbly began to obey his voice progressively throughout their lives. And they later became known as not the sons of thunder, but John the Beloved and James the Martyr. See, Christ radically changed them, progressively changed them, gave them eyes and ears to see and hear what he had called them into. And we know the testimony of these men. John, who was willing to serve the church of Christ with his whole life, he was committed to caring for the church and even going to the point of suffering on the Isle of Patmos to bring forth the great revelation that we see at the end of the book. To, again, care for God's people. He was humbled and became a servant, not a son of thunder, but a son of grace. James, James was so devoted to Christ that he followed Jesus from this point forward all the days of his life and even became a martyr for Christ. He didn't count his life as more important than obeying Jesus. And these men heard Christ's call on their life. It's obvious that they were eager to put self to death, take up their cross so that they could magnify Jesus throughout their lives. That's that's what we need to think about today. Are we that eager? Are we that eager to follow Christ's commands? 
Are we that eager to follow his calling on our life as ambassadors? Do you desire to magnify Jesus as much today as you did on the day of your salvation? Listen, I I was saved around 19 years old in Okmulgee County Jail, having been arrested for some stuff I shouldn't have been doing. And God converted my soul in that cell. I had a gospel knowledge. I was raised in the church. When I was converted, no one had to sit there and tell me, "Okay, now you you need to testify to the power of the gospel. Now you need to be a witness. Now you need to be a disciple. Listen, I got out of that jail. I walked down the front steps, met a guy I went to grade school with, hadn't seen him in years. And I just began to just overwhelm him with the gospel. Now, that wasn't me, saints. That was the work of Christ in me. I get no glory. I was a weak, nothing, wretched sinner Saved by grace before divine purpose. And so are you. We've been given a supernatural calling on our life. And that supernatural calling will transform your actions, your words, if you are a Christian. If you've been truly called to salvation, you're also truly called into a supernatural mission to be an ambassador for Jesus. Now and forever. There's going to be people testifying to that today through their baptism. So again, let let their witness today renew this eagerness you once had, this love you once had to magnify and make much of Jesus. Let it continue to point you back to the new life you've been given, the promises of God that will keep you to the end and make you more like his son progressively. Rest in those. Rejoice in those. If, if you're born again, that will be your desire today when you see these people testify to their faith in Christ in baptism. This will be your desire if you're born again, because this will be your calling now and for eternity. And it will be accomplished by God's power and grace. Philippians 1, 6 says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, it may be hard. It may be difficult. But as you look back and you recognize what God has done to save you, you can then be able to then be able to rejoice in what God saved you for. To be his ambassador, to be his disciple, to be his voice on the earth, his hands, his feet, his church and uphold the truth without fear. There'll be fearful times, no doubt. We're living in them now. As Christians, we will suffer persecution. It's coming. There's no doubt. It already is here in many ways, but it's coming in greater ways. But we do not have to be afraid. We need to be amazed. When we are afraid, just stop and think about who you are in Christ. You are a child of God, saved by God, sending forth his son to take your place. He's not going to lose you. He's not going to lose anything that you've been connected to if you're sharing this message with them faithfully. If you are able to be a witness for Christ, lead others to Jesus, even if you're not here one day, his word remains true and powerful. It goes out with a divine purpose. It'll bring back the harvest that he intends. So just be faithful in your calling and who you are in Christ. And don't fail to be amazed by it. Listen, part of our problem in reform circles is we we talk about soteriology and the hypostatic union and all these great terms and great 
theological truths, but are we really amazed by them? Sometimes we can study them to a fault and forget to rejoice over them from our heart. We're called to be amazed, just like on the day of your salvation. Be amazed that he didn't just call you. He called you and he commissioned you. He gave you a divine purpose. Listen, Christians are the only people on the planet who know who they are and why they're here. We don't have to question it. We know it absolutely from God's word and his commands and Christ's call. So the call of Christ is an extraordinary calling with a glorious purpose behind it. It's making us more and more like him. And that should truly humble and excite us today. And here's why it excites me. It's not just true of Simon, Andrew, James and John. It's true of you. It's true of me. Jesus still chooses the common to confound the wise of this world. Christ chose us to be his disciples to illustrate his power, his glory, his might, his supremacy over sin and sinners now and forever. I mean, what an amazing honor we've been given. What a humbling truth to consider and enact on in life. He chose the ordinary to reveal the extraordinary power of his son through us. Clay pots. We're not many noble, not many wise in the world's eyes. But we've been given a supernatural calling by Christ. Our lives are now being made into instruments of grace on earth that testify to our great Savior and God and King. I hope that amazes you this morning. Go with me to 1 Corinthians so I can make sure that you're amazed this morning. So that I can make sure that I'm amazed this morning. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. It's, it's so easy for us to grow cold and weary in this wicked and broken world. And these truths that we've been given as his disciples should renew our hearts and our minds. And I pray that this will help this passage 1, 26 to 31 will help revive your amazement and your commitment to Christ's calling. Look what it says. For consider your calling brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But look at verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Why? Why, Paul? Well, he tells us so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness from God and sanctification from God and redemption from God. That's what he's implying there. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is our boast. Jesus takes the common and makes them sacred through his power, his love, his gospel. He changes the very direction of our life now and for eternity Listen, what is not seen is more of a reality than what is seen. The things that are transient will pass away, but this truth will remain forever. We who are common are now considered sacred in God's sight, set apart for a holy purpose. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 to 7 tells us that we've been given not just a supernatural salvation, which we have, the supernatural power 
in that gift of salvation, that, that jars of clay cannot hold in. This is what should drive you to testify to the world that you are belonging to Christ now as his disciple. Second Corinthians four, verse five. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Saints, that should encourage you. You are a jar of clay full of cracks and flaws and brokenness. But the treasure you have within you is the power of God unto salvation. And it will shine forth from you so that when people see your good works, they will glorify our father in heaven. Because it's him working. We're just privy pots. We're just pots that were once used for common purposes, now sacred, set apart unto God, so that he gets all the glory when we get it right, when we serve him. And listen, if you've been a privy pot, a clay pot your whole life, and you recognize you have the treasure of Christ and the gospel now, you want to display it. You want to share it. Because you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But it's been given to us by God's sovereign grace. That should encourage us. That should bring us great confidence today. Because it tells me this, that the power of our witness, power of our discipleship, our sanctification, it doesn't lie in our skills. It doesn't lie in our talents. It doesn't lie in our intellect. The power of our ministry comes through the life of Christ that reigns in us. And it pours out onto others so that his name is magnified now and for eternity. The disciples understood that. We should understand that. These disciples that we read about in the Gospels, many of which became the apostles, they were all just common men like us. But God used those common men, those clay pots, to turn the world upside down. And he can do the same thing with you and I today. And that's why you're here. You're here to make a difference. You're here to glorify Christ in a dark place. Listen, we can send missionaries to Africa. We can send them to all over the world. But there is no greater need than in America for people to be true followers of Christ. We have a lost and damned culture around us. We have the only hope that they could ever, ever receive by God's grace. We've been given that to share it. And even if they reject it, God is glorified through it. His name is exalted. Listen, evangelism is nothing more than worshiping Jesus. You're just telling people what you know, what God has given you in Christ, and you're glorifying him in the process, and it becomes a worshipful experience when you understand it that way. It's not something you have to feel intimidated by. It's a joy of the Christian's heart. And you who were once unable are now able by God's grace. These men in the New Testament, in the Gospels, they were like us. They were ordinary folk. But Christ's supernatural calling changed them. And I pray that it's changed you as well. I see that it has many of your lives and your testimonies. These men became powerful instruments in God's hands, instruments of grace in the world and for his praise. 
because of the power of the gospel that was given to them in that salvation and through their sanctification. They were just clay pots, and so are we. It's good for me to look at that sometimes because Justin was alluding to in his lesson on humility, sometimes we think that we're actually some sort of trophy to God. We are trophies of his grace, but I contribute nothing to his glory apart from Christ. I'm just a weak, ordinary sinner saved by grace. Same as the testimony of the first disciples that we see here in Mark chapter 1. And these men help remind me of that. They help remind me that Jesus still calls ordinary people to be his disciples so that the surpassing glory of our labors will point to our king's power and his grace and not our own strength. So you who are disciples of Christ here today, rejoice that you have a desire to follow the master's voice. Rejoice even though you may fall short because the master himself will pick you up. And he will set you back on the path because you are his child created for good works that God prepared beforehand so that you would walk in them. That's what we're celebrating today when we come to baptism. We're celebrating the fact that that good work that began in them, we're going to be able to watch it continue on in those who testify to the power of the gospel through their obedience in the waters of baptism. I'm going to ask the guys to come on up to lead us in a song when they are through with the song then we will actually have those who are being baptized give their testimonies up here in the front. So I do want to encourage you to be praying for them as we're singing. Praying for their strength to be obedient and to be eager and immediately testify to the power of Christ today. Let me go ahead and pray as these musicians come forward and get ready. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you, Jesus, for the call that you've placed upon our lives for the work you did to redeem us. And Lord, if there are any here who are yet to know you in a saving way, I pray that through this their hearts will hear and respond to the truth, that you would grant them repentance, grant them faith to believe. All those things have to be granted by your hand, for we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And only by your grace are we saved, not by religious activity, not by attendance at church, not by trying to be a good person. Lord, we're only saved because of you and you alone. You have sent forth your son to be our savior, to die the death we deserve, to be raised, to testify that his life was pleasing. His life was a sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And his holy life then is credited to our account. And now when you see us, You no longer see us as sinners. You see us as saints in Christ. You see the blood of your son covering all of our iniquity, washing away the guilt and the stain because he was punished for it in our place. We thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the testimony of those who will be baptized today. I pray that you would bless them. You would strengthen their convictions, that they would drive them forth this next week to be faithful witnesses of Christ as they listen to your voice and obey with eagerness and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.